0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from John 8 and 9. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. We must work with the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which meant scent. So so he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. That's great. So, good morning. Uh, good to see you this morning. My name is Drew. If we've not met, I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer City. Uh, and it's good to be here uh, during this time of year with you this morning. We continue in a series where we're, we're going through the Gospel of John, looking at the different I Am statements of Jesus. The coming of I Am uh, is, is the title of this Advent series. One of the things I love the most about Christmas, I don't know about you, uh, but it's all the lights. Uh, we get the trees up in the house as fast as we can. We get the lights on the house as fast as we can. We just love the lights on the tree and the lights on the houses and the, and the, the you know, the mistletoe lights hanging on the side of the street lamps in, in downtown. Uh, and one of the things that we should acknowledge is that the lights that we see around Christmas time are not just decorative. They are a sign. They are prophetic. They carry a message, and the message is what Jesus says here in John chapter 8 I am the light of the world. Now, historically, this season that we're in, the season of Advent, begins in the darkness. There are churches, and I don't know, maybe we'll try this one day, but these beautiful stained glass windows kind of get in the way. Uh, But there are churches who, on the first Sunday of Advent, do the service completely in the dark. Uh, My family, uh, we do an Advent wreath at home. Uh, And we always start with the lights out, and we sit in the darkness, and then light the candles, and the light begins to shine in the darkness, because this is the image of the the scriptures, and because it's really what the season is about. The darkness represents the 400 years of the people waiting for Messiah, between the prophets of the Old Testament and the coming of Jesus the first time in the new. No word from God for 400 years. And so the darkness always comes first. Tish Warren if you've not read anything that she's written, you should probably read everything she writes. But she wrote a piece about Advent in uh, in the New York Times uh, this past week, which is remarkable in itself that she was asked to do that. But it really is a remarkable little essay she wrote. And it, this was the title. She said, Want to get again, the Christmas spirit face the darkness. Here's what she says. Here's her counsel. She says, to rush into Christmas without first taking time to collectively acknowledge the sorrow in the world and in our own lives seems like an inebriated and overstuffed practice of denial. She goes on, our our response to the wrongness of the world and of ourselves can often be an unhealthy escapism, and we can turn to the holidays as anesthesia from pain. We need collective space as a society to grieve, to look long and hard at what is cracked and fractured in our world and in our lives. Only then can celebration become deep, rich, And resonant, not as a saccharine act of delusion, but as a defiant act of hope. You see why you should read her, don't you? She's really, really good. And so her advice is this don't run from the darkness, face it, sit in it, at least for a minute. And so Advent is the opportunity to learn to reject sentimentality, which is really the enemy of Christian hope and joy and peace. Now, I know I get on this soapbox every year this time of year, and maybe I'll do so for a long time because I think it's really important, but Flannery O'Connor defines sentimentality as skipping lightly over the fall into, quote, an early arrival at a mock state of innocence. And so you can't let Christmas come too soon. This is going to be a very unpopular take, but here's here's one piece of advice I might give. Record all the Hallmark Hallmark Christmas movies and binge watch them in the days after Christmas. But for the moment, sit in the reality that the world is not a feel-good place. It's not, not all happy endings. There's real darkness to be endured in the world, in ourselves, and you have to face it. You have to be honest about it. That's the first step. You have to really stare it down. And then remember the prophet's beautiful words that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And that those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. And what is the light that has come into the world from outside the world? God himself, the word, made flesh to dwell among us. He is the light of the world. Amen. So we want to look at that statement that Jesus makes about himself there in John chapter 8. Uh, and just walk through the story of the Bible in creation, fall, and then the incarnation, Jesus' first coming, and then ultimately the consummation when he comes again and see what it means in all of those categories for us. And so, as we talk about light and darkness this morning first, what, does, what do these images just teach us about how we were made? What does it mean that, that God went about lighting up the darkness? Look there, John 8:12 again, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so, I am, the light of the world, means a number of things. It means, first, that Jesus is the source of all life. Darkness is a metaphor for chaos and evil. I mean, we've all been afraid of the dark at some point in our lives, right? Because all of the scary things come out in the dark. They lurk in our closets, in our bedrooms, once the lights go out. Light and darkness are always squaring off in the stories, aren't they? And the dark represents the bad guys, and the light is the good guys, and so... We shouldn't be surprised to find that the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 begins with darkness, and then God speaks, and his word lights up the dark. The Gospel of John begins, In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and all things were made through him. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. So there's a connection we see here between light and life. John eight twelve says, It is the light of life. And that word life, there is Zoe again. We've been talking about this for weeks. The light that brings Zoe. Jesus is the giver of both bios life and also Zoe life. Life that is more than just life. He is the source of everything good. Well, I am the light of the world also means that Jesus is the guide to life. Because the darkness is also a metaphor for spiritual blindness and error. You can't see in the dark. We know this, right? You don't know which way to go. When we say, you know, she's in the dark, what do we mean? We mean she doesn't know. She doesn't know what's going on. And so, light means that Jesus has come to show us the way, to give us light to walk by. And uh, there's a very specific context in which these words are spoken here in John 8. If you look at verse 12, you'll see it starts with the word again. That's because it's picking back up from what came before, even even before verses uh, 1 through 11 of chapter 8. Uh, really all the way back to chapter 7. And in chapter 7, we're told that the setting for everything that's happening here is the great Feast of Tabernacles, which was Israel's yearly celebration of God's provision for them in their exodus as they wandered in the wilderness coming out of Egypt. And one of the things that would happen at the Feast of Tabernacles is that four huge candles or torches, these huge balls of light were lit At one point in the middle of the feast to remind the people of the pillar of fire that led them throughout their years in the wilderness. And in the middle of this feast, as the candles are lit and they begin to light up the night, Jesus stands up in the midst of them and says, I am the light of the world, follow me. See, we were made to not walk by our own light. Proverbs 3, which we all memorized or have heard at some point if, you've been, if you're familiar with the scriptures at all. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. We need a guide. We need to be led to life. The man and the woman were made at the beginning to depend upon God for their knowing. And the fruit of their knowing apart from God was the thing forbidden to them. And also to us, we are designed to walk in God's light and not our own. So C.S. Lewis, you know, as only C.S. Lewis can, said this. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And that's true. But I am the light of the world also means one other thing. It means that Jesus is not only the source of life and the guide to all of life, it also means that he's the joy to life. Because darkness is a metaphor for judgment and God-forsakenness. Hell in the Bible is described as a place of outer darkness. And so the light of God's face that we're promised is the true sun. We were made to sunbathe our souls in the light of God's smile. There is no happiness. There's no joy, no rest, no peace without the light of God's face. Shining on you, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter how many vacations you go on, it doesn't matter what else is true in your life, you will shrivel up and die if you're not living in the light of God's love for you. So walking in the light, walking in the light, as John talks about in First John, is living naked and without shame before God, like we were created to do in the very first place, before the tragic entrance of sin into the world. Now, what does all this mean? It means for us that Jesus is reality. He is reality. That's what we're being told here. John 8, 31, if you abide in me and my words, you are truly my disciples. And it goes on in verse 32, which I didn't print by my mistake. It says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, I like the word reality rather than the word truth because truth has a certain meaning in our culture. It's become so subjective, but reality isn't subjective. Reality is Real, it's there. We act as if there's such a thing as design or truth, but reality is reality. It's there whether you acknowledge it or not. And so, freedom, then, according to Jesus here, is not authenticity, it is conforming to Him as reality. The fish is not free unless it's in the water, we know that. The bird is not free unless it's soaring through the air, and we are not free unless we know Jesus as the reality that we are, have to conform our souls to. He is the source. He is the guide. He is the joy. This is what this image here means. But secondly, if that is true, if that's how we've been made, if we've been made to know him as the source and the guide and the joy to all of life, what, what happens? How do, we, how do we sinfully grasp at what only he can give? What happens if we try to live our lives by our own light? Uh, you hear this often in our culture, right? Be, be your own light. Let the light from within you shine. We say, I don't mean to make fun, but, but it, it feels so, so sweet and nice, but it's tragic and devastating. The prophet Isaiah talked about this, actually. I couldn't find a way to, find, to get the scripture into what we read in the service, but you should look it up later. Isaiah 50, verses 10 and 11, they say this. This is a, a, a denouncement of judgment. Here's what Isaiah says, Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle the fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of the fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have for my hands, you shall lie down in torment. So here two things are being contrasted. A, what we've already read, trusting in the name of the Lord our God and relying upon him for everything. Or B, kindling our own fire and walking in the light of our own understanding and of our own plans and and purposes. And so you're back to Proverbs 3 here. The first sin in the Bible was a sin of knowing. It was a desire in Genesis chapter 3 to know apart from God, which would be to become God. Remember what the serpent whispered to them, you shall be like God, knowing So Jen Wilkins says that since Adam and Eve, we've believed that more knowledge is the solution to our dissonance and our anxiety. We want to live by sight and not by faith. We want to know for ourselves apart from God. But here's the question that I would ask of all of us this morning that I think we have to wrestle through. Would we be better off knowing rather than trusting? It's what our hearts seem to want, but I, I, I can't help but just ask the question and ask you to sit with the implications of it. Would you be better off knowing than you are trusting? Which is better? See, the Bible's answer is a hard no. <laughs> it is our grasping to know apart from God, and apart from God is what God has revealed to us that has caused all of the problem. The problem isn't that we don't know. The problem is our trying to know in ways that we shouldn't know. And ironically, what happens is is it creates spiritual blindness, which is what you see if you read the larger context here in John chapter 8 in the religious leaders who are so upset with with what Jesus has to say here and the implications that he's making. It's quite a showdown here uh, because what Jesus is, is claiming to be true of himself doesn't fit with what they know. And that's the problem. And it's why I included the verse at the end of chapter 9. If you look all the way down, if you're looking at the scripture that we printed for you, or if you want to go all the way to John chapter 9, verse 39, which basically summarizes all of John 8 and 9, which is one literary unit. For judgment I came into this world, Jesus says, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. The fruit of knowing rather than trusting Spiritual blindness, or spiritual stuckness, or stuck—that's the, that's the image, really. I think uh, Isaiah five describes this stuckness. The prophet says, "Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness." To those who are wise in their own eyes. You see, our knowing doesn't conform to reality, so we create solutions that just make the problem worse. And so if you're stuck, like out in the cow pasture, stuck, and you try to get yourself unstuck, what happens? You get more stuck. And that's what Isaiah is describing. And so a history lesson really quick, just to show this point. In school, we learned about the Dark Ages from the end of the Roman Empire in 476 AD to around 1000 AD, something like that, uh, where there was no real, no real advances, no new technology, nothing much really happened. I mean, you could kind of wipe that whole 500 years off uh, the the record of history, and you really wouldn't miss much of anything. And then eventually. A uh, centuries later came what was called the Enlightenment, which was a philosophical movement that was built upon Renaissance humanism, which believed, uh, the core belief was that human reason and human knowing could fix the world. And for 300 years, it gained momentum throughout the 17th, 18th, and 19th century. So if you go back, and it would be interesting to do this, if you go back and read newspaper clippings from 1899, it was fascinating The optimism, we believed as a society that we were on the verge of ending poverty and war and ushering in a utopia of our own making back at the turn of the 20th century. And then about a decade later came World War I. And then in America the Great Depression. And then World War II. So by mid-century all of those hopes and dreams were gone, all of the technology, all of our education. We had, to, we had to own up and realize that it made no difference. It made it work, actually. It created the atomic bomb. And the Enlightenment Project, Enlightenment Project failed because human knowing can't save. Which, you know, makes what we read in John 3 so surprising because here's what Jesus said. He said, the light has come into the world, but the people love the darkness rather than the light. He says, because their deeds or their works are evil. And it makes my stomach turn to read that. Sin has done such a number on us. We would rather stay stuck than be free, is what Jesus says there. We would. We would rather stay stuck than be free because freedom, the cost of freedom, is admitting the truth. It requires us that we admit the truth, that we can't do life on our own. We just keep messing things up. We are the problem, not the solution. We we need to be saved. We need a savior. And that's the very thing our hearts can't admit to themselves. But the point of this text, and the other text describing Jesus as light, is that the light itself doesn't come from within. We were wrong to even think that to begin with. It has to come from outside. The light of the world is light that comes from outside of the world. Light that shines into the world, into the darkness from outside. Because when you're really stuck, we know the only way to get unstuck it's not for you to try to get yourself unstuck, you just make it worse. The only way to get unstuck is for, to call somebody else and have them come and pull you out. And that's why uh, what Jesus says in verses 23 and 24 is so important. Look there, he says, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins, you'll stay stuck It'll only get worse and worse and worse until you die, and then there'll be hell, he says. Now, the famous passage in Isaiah 9 is about people walking in darkness that see a great light. And it comes on the heels of Isaiah chapter 8, which describes a specific political crisis that the people were facing. And instead of turning to God in their time of need, it says they started to consult with mediums, mediums and with magic, magicians. They looked to magic for solutions. And when that didn't work, it says this. It said they looked to the earth. Just think about that statement. They looked to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they, were, and they uh, were thrust into thick darkness. Now, when they needed help, it says they looked to the earth. They looked to their political leaders, to the experts, to the scholars. They tried to engineer social policies that would provide solutions. They hoped in human resources to shine light but it only created more darkness. They went from darkness into deeper darkness. And the lesson is, as I've said, we need to be rescued. The light doesn't come from within. Live your truth, follow your heart, uncover the light from within and let it guide you through life. This this is that's silliness, because the power for change doesn't come from within. It's what our culture believes. But the problem is, uh, you know, is not that you're letting people snuff you out. So be your authentic self, you know, embrace who you really are. But biblically, that's not how you get unstuck. That's how you get stuck in the first place. So the power to get unstuck doesn't come from within. It doesn't come from some self revelation that becomes self-expression. It has to come into you from the outside. The truth that can set you free isn't a subjective experiment. It is an external reality that you have to conform your heart to. You have to submit to it. And so the very first lesson of Christmas is that we have to stop looking to the earth for solutions to the real problems that we're facing as individuals, as a community, as a society. Be wary of politicians who promise that we can overcome poverty and injustice. Does anybody still believe that? There are no new ideas. There are no real solutions. There's just the party line. And the majority changes hands every decade or so. So what is our hope? Well, the hope that we have is exactly what we see here, that the light has come into the world. Jesus Christ has come from above. He is not of this world. And so he can bring real solutions to fix the real problems. Those are his own words. He is God coming to the world to rescue us. Isn't that what we celebrate at Christmas? The light shines in the darkness, John goes on to say in John 1. And the darkness has not overcome it. So he gave to give us the light of life. Isn't that great news? He is the light that we've been waiting for. He is the light that we need to push back the darkness. And he came to give us the light of life. But here's the thing, in order to do that, he had to be snuffed out. On the cross, Jesus Christ took upon himself our sin. He enveloped himself in our darkness. And when he died, it says in the Bible that the darkness fell again that it became in that moment a land of deep darkness, but a deeper darkness than ever before in history. Remember, the darkness is a metaphor for God's judgment and God forsakenness. And that's why the darkness fell, because God was coming against Jesus in judgment as he hung up on the cross for our sins. You remember, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, that is true soul darkness in that moment. And if your faith is in Jesus, here's the good news. You don't ever have to experience that apart from him. It will be something you go in and out of feeling your whole life. It will have many different names, that soul darkness. But it is this soul-crushing coldness and darkness of God's face being turned away from you. That is is the, the, the terrifying reality that many of us face. That's what it means to die in your sins. He says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins, verse 24. But if you're a Christian... If you put your faith and trust in him, you can live bathing your soul in the sun of God's smile because Jesus endured the darkness of God's wrath so that you could always have the light of his love. Always. Shining on your life all the time. Isn't that great? I mean, that, that really is what he promises, what he came to. What, why, we all, Jesus came as the light of the world into the darkness, but why did he come? He came to give us the light of life. He came so that the smile of God could shine over our lives like the sun. But there's one more thing before I close. One, one last thing, and that is that, again, to be honest during this time of year, we have to admit that the darkness still persists despite all that is promised of us in this text, doesn't it? Every day the sun goes down and the darkness settles in. I mean, night after night, we still endure the dark, but not forever. There's a day coming when the sun will not go down. Revelation twenty-two five says this, and night will be no more. Can you imagine that? It'll be like living in Alaska in the middle of the summer all the time. No more darkness. But I've not been completely honest about that. It goes on to say this. They they will listen to this. This is why we read the Revelation passages, why we're looking at Revelation, because Advent is ultimately a time to remember that we're awaiting people. We're waiting for him to return again. And when he returns again, this is what it's going to be like. Listen. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light. The city has no need of sun or sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and by its light will the nations walk. That's just so beautiful. So when I stand up at the end of our service and say, may the Lord's face shine upon you, that is a spiritual reality that has already been accomplished. It really is something that you can experience, but it's so hard to believe, isn't it? God can still seem so far away. He can still at times seem so hidden. We get little tastes of it Uh, But they're like little morsels that just make us hungry for more. And the Revelation text is the promise that it's coming. That there will be a day. There will be a day. I don't know when. Very soon. There will be a day when we will know him so intimately and so immediately. His love will be so real. It will be so concrete that the darkness will be driven away forever. And I can't wait. And so the already finished work of Jesus Christ for us and the not yet hope of the future together they are the power to walk in the light they are the power to have the light of life the call in the text notice is to follow Jesus look at verse 12 again I am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life the call of the text is to follow him because he is the light that is not only the source but he's the guide and he's the ultimate joy of life Jesus's light went out so that it could be relit in us. He is the light that came into the world and then left the world, but he left his light behind in us. He was the light of the world. Now, he says to us, you are the light of the world. And we're told to go and let our light shine in beautiful works that others can see and give glory to God for, to hold out the truth that can set people free despite the opposition we may come up against. And the man born blind in John chapter 9 is the example of this, I think, which is why I included the story. It is, as I said, one unit, John 8 and 9. Jesus, just a, couple, just a comment really quick. Jesus opened the man's eyes. You see that? I mean, he was, he was blind, and, and Jesus caused him to see. And that's what it takes to come to faith. It takes a supernatural act of God before you can believe. Every Christian, every one of us in the room, if your faith is in Jesus, you're a miracle. Every Christian is a miracle because it takes an act of God to open your eyes so that you can see the spiritual truth that Jesus is bringing by being the light of the world. Every Christian is a miracle, which also means that every Christian has a testimony. Like this man. He gets in all kinds of trouble if you read John 9. It's great because he won't stop talking about what Jesus did for him. He goes everywhere just telling people about Jesus, and they get really, really upset with him. The authorities finally catch up with him, and they begin to question him because this happened on the Sabbath day, we're told, and that's why they're really upset. And, and they just begin to bombard him with questions, and he just, he just keeps, you know, he, he's kind of out of his depth a little bit. But as they keep questioning, he kind of stops him, and hears his answer. He says, I don't know. I, I don't know about all of that. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. It really is that simple. It really is that simple. That's what it means for you and me to be the light of the world. That's what it means to have had an experience of grace and and to be a Christian. It doesn't mean we have all the answers. I mean, to, to to be a witness doesn't mean that you can answer all the questions. It means that you have a story. And the story of every person who's been touched by grace like this is the same as this man. And it's just what the old hymn writer John Newton said, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you. That your great love moved you to not stay far away from us, but to come into the world. Uh, Thank you that you work in our lives to take these blind eyes and to cause them to see. And yet, uh, we would say to you, Lord, uh, we believe, but help our unbelief, because that unbelief still persists. Even though the truth is right there in front of us, even though we we get a glimpse, it's 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 dim, it's in part. And you you tell us that this life will be this ever-increasing sense of coming to know the reality of your great love for us. It's so hard to believe that your smile lingers over our lives. We we revert back to thinking it's something we have to earn. Grace is so hard for us to grab a hold of and not let go of, and so we need for you to continue to work in us, continue to open our eyes, and we thank you for the opportunity to come to this table, because here is, the, here is um, the gospel in high definition, in this bread, in this cup, and so as we come now and gather, would you continue to convince us, may your spirit convince us, and I pray for some who came into the room this morning blind, that they would leave seeing, and I pray it would not be the case for any of us that we came seeing, confident, uh, truly trusting in our own understanding that we would leave blinded. May that not be. So Father, come and work in us in this way, we pray. Move us to faith and repentance, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, what a great, what a great song. What a great summary of the gospel from beginning to end. Listen, the, um, the experience of living in, in the immediate light of God's glory in the new heavens and the new earth, is such a powerful thing that just a foretaste of it can change your life in radical ways. And that is the promise of this benediction, that if your faith is in the Lord Jesus, if you have turned yourself toward Him, away from your own understanding, away from groping around in the darkness on your own, and turned to Him as the light of life, then He turns His face towards you, and His face begins to shine. And you live in the radiance of His face and smile turn towards you. So receive these words and go uh, in the light that God gives. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you His peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Go in His peace.